The second thing I'd look at is what's your passion? What we found in particular with this brownout idea is if your metric based definition of success, you'll eventually reach it if you're a driven enough person. And so if you don't have passion behind what you're doing, if there's not a purpose greater than a number, you'll eventually get bored and walk away. Welcome to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Rains. As leaders, you have the ability to design and lead culture intentionally. Hear from culture leaders who are moving from a values list to values lived. Hey leaders, welcome back to the Build Your Culture Brand podcast. I have with me today a repeat guest, Chris Liberator, and we're excited to have you on the show again today, Chris. Thank you so much for inviting me back. So Chris is a, a Chick-fil-A owner-operator in Cleveland, Georgia, and he's been there since uh, you opened, right, in 2015. Then I think before that, you were in the Knoxville area. So we have a reason to want to bring you back on the show, and it, and it centers around some of your research that you've been doing while pursuing uh, your PhD in uh, human capital management at Bellevue University in Omaha, Nebraska. And recently uh, you, you walked the stage, you got your doctorate, you're, you're now Dr. Liberator. Yes, thank you. It's uh, still a little interesting or kind of unreal to hear somebody refer to me as Dr. Liberator, but I'm excited to be able to claim that now. Um, yes, there about, you go. about six years ago, I got interested in pursuing it and then was blessed to be partnered with Chick-fil-A and they supported my pursuit. So four years ago, I got started on the journey and then graduated with my degree this year. I, I can uh, say for myself, it, it's it's a, a lot of work. I understand, you know, all the, the research and courses and then just the writing and research part of the, you know, putting together something new to scholarship. So Thank you for adding to the world of scholarship around this idea of, of human capital and want to dive in on that topic. Now, Chris, you know, super smart guy. I'm, and so what, what we're going to try to do is take, you know, some of these incredible concepts and and just make sure make sure I understand them so that, you know, as we talk through this, then our listener uh, will also be able to use them. But you know, one of the the big topics is around. Um, this idea of brownout. And so could you, could you just summarize that idea? And then we'll talk about, um, you know, what, what brownout, how that might be applied to the, the life of a CEO. Yes, definitely. Um, to kind of bring it all around, the, the idea of burnout is when people just, they get disconnected from the work. And within the white collar industries or white collar, white collar roles, it really happens through either exhaustion or disengagement. Now, exhaustion is your traditional burnout that most people think about. It's where they're just working 24 seven and it's essentially resource depletion. So energy, um, mental capacity, physical um, difficulties. But the other side of that disengagement, that's where brownout comes in. And it was a term that kind of separated it from the overarching concept of burnout, but it's really a subdivision of it. And it's when a uh, businessman, in particular, white collar or entrepreneurial, they get to the point where they just don't care anymore. So brownout is really burnout that's caused through either disengagement or boredom. And it's because they, they're no longer driven by the work. Thanks for that quick summary. That, that makes a lot of sense. So we have this big idea of, of burnout that we're all probably all a bit familiar with, but this is that subcategory and it 
and it comes, I, I think, as you and I've talked about it, it, one of the leading, uh, I, don't, I don't know, the ways people fall into this place is they kind of have won at their goals. They're, they're at the, they're at the finish line of a lot of the goals they've had. And there, there's really doesn't seem to be a new, uh, inspiring, engaging goal now. And, um, is that, is that part of what gets people to this place of brownout? You're precisely right. So what the research has found is that a lot of executives, um, whether they're managers within an organization or they're entrepreneurs, they're driven by achieving some sort of level of success. And a lot of um, these personnel, and it doesn't matter if male or female, the research shows that it's all across the board the same, those success tend to be data-driven. So for instance, a certain revenue level or a certain profit level, a certain income, um, a certain quantity of businesses open and running if you're an entrepreneur. But what happens is at some point in your career, when you've been driven for so long, for so hard, and you're, all your passion is built into achieving that goal, when you eventually check it off, you just stand back and you don't have anything else to do. And that just results in that disengagement, that boredom. And it's interesting because it's so different than the exhaustion based because the boredom's um, you can look from the outside like you're winning on every metric and on the inside you just don't care where on the other side the the more exhaustion based burnout people can generally tell you can see because you're short fused you're generally more emotional angered um oriented or you're physically exhausted falling asleep at work showing up late leaving early that sort of thing but on this other one this disengagement this brownout it can be completely oblivious to everybody else, but inside you just no longer care. That's fascinating. So I can imagine masks would start to develop. You, you tend to hide it more. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right to even portray that kind of brownout. I could see why it would become more and more hidden along the way. So this, this fits so well with just, you know, my role as an executive coach, as I'm talking to, you know, owners, uh, different leaders, executive leaders in the organizations that um, there's work to be done, but but we need that space that it's becoming more and more, I think, I think everyone's becoming more and more aware, especially after the events of 2020, 2021, that how we think about the way we're reacting to the world around us really matters. There's just kind of a, I think some people call it, you know, mindset and that mindset um, is a keel. It sets the pattern for the entire organization, whether we realize it or not. So thanks for diving into this topic. What, uh, why is, you know, I think Chick-fil-A is actually participating with you in this research. Tim Tosopoulos and you have talked about this some and, and others on the you know executive board and why why are they curious and interested in you finding out more about brownout? You know, Chick-fil-A has been really supportive of operators as a whole, constantly pushing ourselves to challenge and learn and grow and understand our business in the marketplace better. And so when I approached them, I would say about um, six years ago, five years ago, and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in doing this. I feel like I have some um, wiggle room in my schedule and I have some capacity on the um, intellect side to be able to handle the rigor of this program. I'm interested, but it's it's got to be kind of a co-op thing. Like I need a partner to work with me because we have to do this on the study of our organization 
which essentially means I need you to be okay with me studying our organization. And they didn't even hesitate right off the bat. They're like, sure, go for it, do it. Um, their only request is that they got to hear about the results and they just want to learn alongside with us. And so it was wonderful, not only having them support me um, in my pursuit, but then working with me. So throughout the time, um, I would regularly have phone calls with uh, Tim Desopolis, with Robinson, um, and then other leaders throughout the business analytics or the human capital side, in particular, how was Chick-fil-A um, measuring talent development, investing in it, how were we calculating return on those investments, that sort of thing, and really got to learn from Chick-fil-A the application of what we were doing um, or what we were studying academically. And so it was a wonderful partnership that Chick-fil-A walked alongside with me. When we got to the stage of the dissertation, I actually had about, oh, I would say 10 or 12 different topics. And I sat down with um, Cliff and Tim and just said, guys, this is what I'm interested in. What piques your interest? And from that, we just had a great conversation around what are they seeing across the board from a high level perspective? And what was I experiencing as an operator and seeing throughout our market? And we just both settled on this idea of how can we help operators thrive for the long run? Because it benefits everybody. You know, the customer wins when they get to know the entrepreneur that's running the restaurant, when it's a truly local ownership, community-led store. And the Chick-fil-A wins when operators stick around because there's a level of experience that drives results. And so when we have these thriving, growing operators who don't want to leave, Chick-fil-A definitely benefits from that. And then the operator wins because they're thriving, they're growing. And it's exactly what everybody wants. And so we wanted to look at it because we were recognizing an increasing rate of that not occurring um, within the idea of operators leaving the brand, whether it was retirement uh, after a long tenured career, or it was in the first five to 10 years of just walking away when all the metrics said they were winning um, and anywhere in between. And so we partnered together and we entered into this study and it's, it was remarkable how much support Chick-fil-A gave me. And, and you're talking about an organization that, I mean, I've read amazing reviews, you know, third party reviews of Chick-fil-A and looking at the operator agreement, uh, you know, the operator level and saying there is very little turnover in the operator world. This is a very high retention type role. And but we're starting to see a, a, an edge on that now. And, and so trying to, you know, understand that a little bit more. So I, you know, in, in, in podcasts, sometimes people like push all the good stuff to the end. Right. And I really try to give as much, push as much of the, like, I'm, cause I'm, my audience is bottom line. People like, give me the bottom line. So, right. Could, could you just like, give us what is like, what are the top three things that if, if someone stopped listening to the podcast in the next three or four minutes, what, what could they take away and know, okay, this will help me. What, what would you offer as some of those top concepts? You know, it's um, if I'm looking at burnout and I can look at both the exhaustion based and the brownout or disengagement based burnout. If I want to give you top advice, the first thing is intentionality about around what's called the recovery recovery paradox. And what that is, is the research showed and the idea was already out there and we, um, essentially reinforce that this exists within entrepreneurs that when stress starts piling up, it's when your body needs the most amount of recovery time. You need to be intentional about caring for yourself. 
but high level executives and entrepreneurs when stress start piling up, they tend to double down and become workaholics. And so it ends up being a negative spiral uh, where the harder things get, the harder they work. And then the harder things get and they work even harder until there eventually there's nothing left for them to give. And so intentionality is needed around self-care to prevent that recovery paradox. You have to invest as much time and time off as you do in your business and breaking it down into 30 minute breaks during the workday, three hours prior to going to sleep, at least one full day a week and one week a quarter type structure. Now, those are just general frameworks I recommend, but in the end, if you're not intentional about your breaks, entrepreneurs tend to overwork themselves and burn out faster than anybody else. And so you've got to have intentionality. So that's the first thing I'd look at. The second thing I'd look at is what's your passion? What we found in particular with this brownout idea is if your metric-based definition of success, you'll eventually reach it if you're a driven enough person. And so if you don't have passion behind what you're doing, if there's not a purpose greater than a number, you'll eventually get bored and walk away. And so as important about taking care of yourself is understanding what's the reason for your organization and your role within that organization. So become a purpose-driven um, enterprise changes everything. And the third thing I'd say is bring like-minded people around you that are interested in pursuing that same purpose. And so I'm not referring to using this as a source of um, trying to convince people to have this purpose or trying to do some sort of internal marketing campaign um, or PR campaign that tells people like, this is a really good purpose. But when you're recruiting talent as an entrepreneur, You've got to have the ability to entrust real world autonomy and real world empowerment to these people. And if you want to make sure that they don't experience the same burnout, whether it's exhaustion based or brownout as the disengagement based, then they need to have a passion and a purpose that aligns with the organizations. And so getting everybody kind of pulling in the same direction is a game changer for an organization's uh, overall performance, but it's also a game changer in retaining that top level talent. So those would be the big three things for me. It's being intentional around recovery, become a purpose-driven leader, entrepreneur, enterprise, and then recruit people whose purpose and passion aligns with that organization's purpose and passion. Thank you. That What incredible advice. So just those three things together, but, but I can see how they start to overlay. Now, let me ask you, if, if I'm taking intentional time, like you said, the, the once, you know, one day a month, uh, one week, a quarter, should I be using some of that time to revisit purpose, mission, vision, or you know, is is that a, a good use of that time, or do I need to to really even step away from that? What what would you say are those crossover points there? That's a great question. Um, in fact, the easy answer is no. Step away and don't even think about work, which is really hard for a high level, high performing leader, entrepreneur, uh, manager executive, whatever title that they have. Um, so the idea of psychological detachment, which is what we're talking about here, is it requires two things. It requires physical separation from work and mental separation from the workload. And so what you want to do is you want to get away and focus on things that you find energetic, you find fun, you find revigorating. So maybe it's spending time with your family. Maybe it's going for a run. Maybe it's, um, going and joining a local tennis club, but doing something that actually gets your mind off of work, it rejuvenates you. And so um, what 
what you want to have is an opportunity during these detachment periods for your resources to replenish and recover from the drain that you've had at work. And so if you're at away from the restaurant or excuse me, away from the business, obviously a restaurant for me as an operator, but if you're away and you're still thinking about work, you're not able to recover those lost resources or rebuild new resources. So the idea of that detachment about that intentional intentionality to prevent the recovery paradox is that we need to focus on resource replenishment, which does require complete detachment mentally and physically. So during those, again, on those break times are, is, is it something that we should focus on, on rest? I mean, what does rest look like for most people? Is rest still activity or is rest, um, you know, taking a nap? You know, it's interesting. There was research done a few years ago that categorized um, what we'll call recovery into four categories. One is mastery. And so that is getting a better understanding of um, who you are, what you do, and those sorts of things. And so this isn't going to be directly related to your um, job per se, but it's related to developing your capabilities. A second thing is... Um, uh, relaxation. So this is your vacations, your naps, your time watching a Braves baseball game on TV. Um, a third thing is going to be your hobbies uh, and getting into what are those things that um, you just find joy in. Maybe it's going to a comedy show and enjoying a good laugh. Maybe it's um, going to uh, the river and fishing for a little bit. Whatever it is, is that thing for you that just allows you to exhale. It's not necessarily about being physically inactive, you can be doing things, but the activity itself brings you joy. And then the fourth thing, which was shown to be the most powerful is that psychological detachment, which is complete separation. And then you can kind of do whatever you want during that. The key is that you're a hundred percent detached from work mentally and physically. Good. I appreciate that. I, I might have to push back on one thing though, because I, I, I don't know that watching the Braves is going to be the thing that's going to relax me. I mean, the especially, you know, I mean, the Royals maybe, or, or the Rangers, but I don't know, it, maybe that's helpful for some people, but maybe not others. So <laughs> it was amazing season until this last week, but uh, the Braves gave Atlanta um, such a wonderful year. It was a blast to catch yeah. a few of their games this year. So sorry, I got to kill still root for them no matter what. Yeah. Phillies kind of took them down pretty quick, didn't they? <laughs> so uh, no comment on that one. It's fun to watch. No comment. <laughs> Good deal. So Chris, as you and I, you know, you've helped me understand this concept more on this call and even previous conversations. And, and one of the things that I found interesting was this idea of, of getting real clarity around purpose, mission, vision, values, and how that intersects with, as you said earlier, you know, having goals that are beyond numbers, something, some bigger purpose that's beyond a metric. Yeah. You know, one of the beautiful things about burnout and burnout in particular is it doesn't have to be permanent. You can actually climb out of it. You can heal from it. And so taking steps towards redirecting, um, towards a purpose is going to be very, um, paramount to get out of burnout. And so the first thing is really looking at your purpose, which is why are we in business? And I don't mean why from selling a particular product better than anybody else. I mean, as a executive or as a leader, as an entrepreneur, why does this business exist to serve a greater cause? 
Um, you can see a lot of it in the marketplace today. Uh, the most popular I can think of is Patagonia or Tom's Shoes, where there's a, a, a vision or a um, purpose that they want to do in serving and protecting uh, community and people and environments. But within our own organizations, what's our purpose for existing? Everything we do should create energy towards an ultimate goal, i.e. your purpose. And so really understanding what that goal is, what that that driver, that passion you have of why'd you come here in the first place, that's where you start. Once you have a purpose, then you look at your mission and your vision. And so your mission is going to be what you're going to do to get there. Um, and then your vision is going to be how you're going to do it to get there. And so each of those provides clarity for the, the team and the organization for how you're going to collectively come together, pull everybody's resources and push towards that overarching purpose. So the, the purpose and the mission and the vision, they don't contradict each other. They don't pull away from each other, but they feed into the other where the vision creates the clarity for them about what we're trying to achieve functionally. And the mission is how we're going to be measuring that in and how we're going to do it along the way. Excuse me, what we're going to do along the way. And all of that's about how we're going to be taking steps day in and day out towards achieving that purpose. And I'll be honest, one of the beautiful things about a purpose is it can be so big, so audacious, so scary that you don't ever achieve it. But that's one of the beautiful things is if you can take one step closer every day, you're going to still move the organization and move your community or society, however large your purpose is, towards a better future. And it's wonderful when you can just keep driving and keep growing and never feel capped or never feel like you can check the box off which again is what drove you to be feeling um, issues of that brownout in the first place. So the purpose is that big overarching thing. And then the vision and the mission help support it. You know, as you describe that, it, it just reminds me, you know, sometimes in relationships, people lose sight of, of their first love. And so, you know, that purpose is really that, you know, why did you fall in love with what, you know, why you, ex you know, your, your purpose in life, your existence. And so, but I love the idea of challenging leaders to have such an audacious purpose that it's basically unachievable, that make it that big, like really examine your purpose and ask, is this bigger than me? Is this bigger than, you know, big enough to be considered audacious? So I appreciate that push. We, we tend to want to set goals that and we, we want to see our purpose as a goal, but we tend to want to set those as achievable. But maybe we just need to make it unachievable for it to be, you know, give that passion that we really need to give to it. Great, great point. I'm going to shift that then. So let's let's say it's really important for a person to get clear about their purpose, mission, vision, values. Now, one of the things you've also looked at is how does that impact the rest of the team, especially when it comes to generations? And so could you just give us an idea of what, how different generations look at, let's say purpose, how do ge different generations look at the need for and the engagement around purpose? You know, it's interesting when I look at what I would consider some of the more mature generations, more mature um, workforce, their purpose is generally built around security right now, whether it's financial security, job security, benefit security. And so we saw that really in the 80s and 90s where 
um, organizations were creating more of a, a framework or a compensation plan to really help employees feel safe and secure. And they worked there for a long time. A simple example is pension plans. Um, those eventually phased out when people wanted freedom and then and they wanted the ability to have flexibility. And so organizations adapted. And the reason why a business should adapt is ultimately you need to attract talent. And so the talent is going to have their own drivers for what they're looking for. And organizations need to be aware of that and, and attract it. And so they started shifting into this more flexible, the 401ks, the telework, um, what we now see is work from home uh, formats, uh, flexible schedules. And you started seeing more engaged employees, but you also started to see employees um, not spend an entire career at one organization. And they tended to move around more which is neither good nor bad. It's just a reality of what was going on. And then in the 2000s, you started to see organizations trying to differentiate themselves in the marketplace by almost branding their employment as a, a cause or a purpose. And so you see this a lot. Um, for instance, there's a bicycle company I can think of where they are all about bringing bicycles back to American culture, um, producing high-grade um, bicycles, but they also built an entire um, employment compensation around uh, biking as a lifestyle. And this is who we are and this is what we're doing. We're going to promote it. And they ask people to come alongside them and support that. Well, we're hitting this new generation that they're not looking to know what the, um, the purpose or the, the value of the organization is because they have their own purpose. They have their own values. So what they're looking for today is a organization who has purpose and values that aligns with theirs. So an example of, that I would use, or kind of a description I would use to separate this kind of shifting demographic of the workforce is that up until about five years ago in the employee proposition that a lot of consultants talked about is organizations were supposed to pitch to them who we are and what we're trying to achieve. And then the second phase of that is if you come along and join us, here's your compensation package. And then employees would judge their reality and the story they had was essentially the gap between what they were promised and their reality. Well, in today's market, I think that's been reversed. It's no longer here's the organization, here's your compensation, here's reality, here's your story. They now are saying, hey, part of your compensation is we're gonna help you achieve your vision your purpose, your dreams, and let's start there. And then in return for us helping you, we're going to ask you to help us achieve our purpose and our vision and our journey. When organizations can find alignment between people whose purpose and vision matches their purpose and vision to some extent is when you're going to have the most committed and most engaged employees. And so I believe organizations that can recognize this shift in the demographics, organizations that can find a way to pull from potential employees, pull from candidates what their vision and purpose is, and then be able to help articulate how they can help that person achieve that. Those are the organizations that are going to win the talent war. Those are the organizations that are going to get the best people to come and join their team and by producing high performance in the organization are going to help them uh, pursue the organization's purpose. And I really say I've only started seeing this shift in the last five years or so. Um, I think there's a lot of conversation about what's driving that, but in terms of the application or the implications of it right now, it's really organizations should be 
asking more than they're telling when it comes to that candidate for their for their openings. Incredible. Thanks for breaking that down for us. I, you know, I, w- I would imagine from what, what we've experienced in the last few years with the recent pandemic, I, it may have already been happening, but it definitely accelerated like overnight and really saw the impact. It's, you know, the pendulum swinging back just a little bit, but I appreciate this idea that we need to get really curious about our, our candidates care about and what they want, what they want to achieve and almost come along and say, okay, if that's where you're wanting to go, you're wanting to get that degree, you're wanting to, you know, end up in this, whatever, then let us be this part of the journey. And when it's time you pursue that, or if you you can pursue that within our brand, then great. But yeah, just seeing it as either a moment of alignment or at least a, a, a season of alignment. What a tremendous different perspective about hiring, recruiting, and but it still takes us as leaders getting clear about our purpose. So, Chris, thanks for an incredible just breakdown and helping us understand. I I would imagine there there, there might be someone listening today that's that's like thinking they've this whole conversation they've been thinking. Yep, I'm there. I'm there right now. And so what, what might you say to them? Like they're here, they are, they've made it to the end of the the show. What what might you say to them as, Hey, here's a, here's a next step. Like after you close out this podcast, do this one next step as a beginning to starting your journey out of brownout. What would you suggest? I'll actually give you three steps that were um, identified in my dissertation. And so what we found was step one, re-identify your passion. Everybody starts with a passion at some point, but life distracts them over time. And so just refocus, re-articulate, take a moment to sit down and legitimately write out your passions and how your role, your job, your organization produces a purpose where you can deploy that passion in the marketplace. So that's the first thing. The second thing is be optimistic about what tomorrow is going to bring. What happens with burnout is one of the main drivers of it is a belief that people aren't going to have a chance to rebuild resources. They're not going to have a better future. But we've got to remember that that's just the negativity speaking. That's the exhaustion speaking. Reality is, is our future is as bright as we want to make it. And so when we can remember to be optimistic about what tomorrow is, it changes our ability to, to battle and fight off burnout and brownout. And then the third thing is remember that God has equipped you with very specific skill sets to win. And so be confident in who you are and how he's equipped you to pursue that passion that he's put on your heart. Because when we can actually have this idea of our passion is a calling, and then we recognize that tomorrow is a day to get closer to that optimistically. And then we can remember that we are uniquely designed to pursue that passion then there's nothing that's going to stop you or hold you back. And if you can take those three steps, the brownout, the burnout, it's going to be gone before you know it. There you have it. Step one, two, three. And I would just encourage you, whoever you are listening out there, that there is a way out. You don't you don't have to feel the way you feel right now. And thank you for this advice from Chris. Thank you for being on the show and just sharing you know, your research, but also from your own experience. We we appreciate you giving your time to the show. It's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation again. It's always fun to catch up and to talk. 
Hey, leaders, thanks for being on the show today. It's been a tremendous topic. Uh, you know, our team is there. We have a team of executive coaches ready to, to help you as a leader, but also to help your team to think, to get them together and think about how can we uh, clarify our purpose, revisit purpose, mission, vision, values. And then this is a culture brand podcast. So part of that mission is what do we do best every day? And what we found is the culture brand, if we can help you design a culture brand for your team, that becomes what, what I call the engine, the behavior engine that drives mission forward and helps make sure that you're firing on all cylinders, everyone's behaving together in the right direction that supports the mission. Because sometimes we get you know, distracted by personalities and a culture brand is a way to bring all your personalities on the team together and, and help everyone continue to, to drive the vision mission in the same direction. So give us a call, direct message us, visit the website and fill our contact form and find out more about what a culture brand could do for your team. Thank you for listening to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Rains. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Visit our website at buildyourculturebrand.com for our free culture brand assessment. See you next time. We would like to note that LeadersQ serves individual owner-operators and their teams and is not affiliated, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with Chick-fil-A Incorporated.